Welcome to the Physio Crew podcast, where we bring you patient stories, lessons, and cutting-edge research to help you resolve pain and recover from injury. We can't wait to share with you what's been going on in the clinic and teach you the things that will make you better. Please enjoy and subscribe. Today we are going to be talking about back pain. 80 to 90% of the population will have back pain at some point in their life, so it's probably likely that you've experienced this before. I'm going to be going through patient questions and answering them to help you to really see how that fits in with your back pain and give you really easy digestible information so that you can take it away to try and alleviate some of your symptoms. Now I've had back pain myself and it can be very frightening, particularly when you're in a muscle spasm where it's locked. So I'm going to spend a bit of time explaining my own experiences and how this helped to change my practice as a physiotherapist. If you are experiencing any red flags at all, you should attend A&E immediately and we'll talk through those now. Red flags help to indicate whether there's something more serious going on with the spine. Now they're very rare, but it is important that if you have those that you seek immediate medical attention. Let's go through those red flags now. So if you are experiencing progressive weakness in your legs or numbness in the saddle area between the legs, or perhaps problems with your bowel or bladder, that may suggest that there's problems with the signal getting down to those nerves and those muscles. If you had that, you would attend A&E. If you're experiencing severe pain following a trauma, such as a road traffic accident, a riding accident, or something that required a lot of force, such as a fall, then again, we would want to get an x-ray to rule out that there wasn't a fracture there. If you're experiencing night sweats or perhaps a temperature, again, we would want to rule out that there isn't a spinal infection. These are very, very rare, but we need to make sure that we're having the appropriate management if you do have those symptoms. Things such as pins and needles in both legs constantly all of the time, not one leg, but both legs, would also be something that we would want to investigate further. Or unrelenting night pain, so you're lying in bed, nothing's changing it, and um, you can't get into a comfortable position. We would be asking you questions such as your general health, if there was any unexplained weight loss, um, very, very specific localised spinal tenderness, and um, a past history of cancer. Again, we would want to be um, investigating a little bit more in depth there. If you have a history of diabetes, tuberculosis, or perhaps um, intravenous drug use or HIV, again, we would want to just make sure that we're ruling out infection as a cause of your back pain. These are very, very rare, but it's important that we make sure if you're searching for a podcast on back pain, that we've ruled this out before we go any further. If you are experiencing any of the above signs, you should seek immediate medical attention at A&E or or you can speak to your doctor if you are not experiencing them, but you're concerned about your back pain. 111 in the UK is also a really good resource to get some information or you can book into your local physio but you wouldn't be doing that if you have red flags you would go straight to A&E. So now we've discussed all the doom and gloom we now need to think about the fact that most back pain is completely part of life with no serious sinister cause to it. We know that 80 to 90% of people will have non-specific lower back pain so that's the kind of pain that comes and goes doesn't necessarily go down into the leg, sits sort of in and around the back and causes lots of disability and aches and pains. 
I want to tell you a little bit about my experience with back pain because I think it will be helpful for you to see how people can recover and how I was able to treat my back pain in a different way so that I got better, quicker results than I had achieved for patients prior to me experiencing it myself. So I take you back, it must be about four or five years ago when I was out on a snowboarding trip. I remember being very excited because I hadn't been out for a long time. I wasn't very fit and I was with a lot of skiers. And I remember this one day going up the mountain, it was a gorgeous blue sky, really, really sunny, but they just kept going down the same piece over and over again. And when you're snowboarding, you tend to be on one edge. And I remember thinking, oh, this is really, really hard work for my muscles. The following morning, I I felt absolutely fine. The following morning, I got up, went to put on my, um, my thermals, and I lifted my foot and I felt this ping in my back. Now, being a physio, I thought, relax, relax. You don't need to guard, just let the muscles relax. But unfortunately, as I lifted the leg again, my back, quote unquote, went. I have heard so many patients in the past say this to me, my back went. And of course, what does that even mean? So in the next few minutes, what happened is my back went into spasm. I had sweat dripping all down my body. I was trying to get my husband to see if he would actually cut off my shirt because I was in so much pain. I'd never experienced pain like that prior to that day. And I knew, luckily, not to get on the floor. So I was in that position, locked, unable to move, with severe pain in my back and a little bit of pain going down into my leg. It took me about 45 minutes to get onto the bed from that standing position. And I managed to just very, very gently wiggle myself onto my front so that I could support through my hips and relax onto the bed. My husband decided that actually it was probably a good idea to um, go off snowboarding because there was nothing he could do. And I very much encouraged him to do that. And he left me with some um, food for the rest of the day as he went off to have fun with my realisation that I wasn't going to be doing much snowboarding in the next few days. It took me a few days probably to be able to even walk normally. It was really hard. Every time I moved, even the slightest amount, I would get searing pain in my back and also going down into my leg. Now, being a physio and getting leg pain, I remember being very concerned that I may have a disc protrusion. But in reality, in hindsight now, I think I just had a, a back spasm. Now, one of the things that we love to do with backs is we love to try and be specific to say that's a facet joint irritation, that's a nerve root irritation, that is um, a disc protrusion. But in reality, we can't be that accurate. So we know that if you're getting pain going down the leg, um, we know that it's likely to be coming from that nerve root area. We don't actually know whether that nerve is being compressed by swelling or um, an irritation around the joint, or perhaps a little bit of disc matter that's putting pressure on it. We know that backs are highly, highly sensitive, and we know that severe pain can be caused by back spasm, so it doesn't mean that there's anything serious going on. For me, I was able to logically reason that I didn't have any trauma. You know, I knew I hadn't um, got a fracture in my back from lifting my foot a tiny bit out off the floor, and of course, People who are listening at home will really um, relate to that because how many times has your back, quote unquote, 
gone when all you did was simply reach over to pick something up from the table or leaned, uh, leant forward that little bit too far or maybe picked up something light. Not something that would cause serious trauma to your back but something that resulted in, in very severe pain. For me, I did what I would encourage all patients not to do, which is I decided that I didn't want to take any um, high-level pain relief. I actually had access to diazepam up there, but I thought, no, I want to be able to feel the pain. I want to be able to just deal with this. So I had some paracetamol and some ibuprofen, but I didn't take the diazepam. In hindsight, I would take the diazepam. It acts as a muscle relaxant and it allows you then to really get your movement and allow you to um, really get back to normal more quickly. So the severe pain in my case was being caused by this muscle spasm. So the muscle was requiring oxygen and it was a lack of oxygen which was causing the spasm and unfortunately that was a vicious circle. So spasm was causing pain which was causing more spasm which was causing more pain. So it was very, very difficult for me to get on and off the bed. Each time I would try and shuffle my bottom over to the edge of the bed and I go to stand up, this was extremely painful. Getting down um, onto the toilet was extremely painful. So I would recommend to you, if you're experiencing the same thing, when you go to sit down on the toilet, don't worry about turning yourself um, around. Actually, you can go face onto the toilet and lower yourself that way if it feels um, any easier to do that. I certainly found that. I also wasn't able to get into the bath because I thought, well, I can apply some heat on it. But actually, um, I was at a stage where it was too, too painful to do that. So I got a hot water bottle and um, my husband had a wheaty bag as well, which we used to try and help relax the muscle. And people often say, what's better? Is it heat or is it ice? Now, for me personally, I found that heat seemed to relax the muscles, whereas ice seemed to contract them. So ice, we know, um, uh, slows the nerve conduction um, along its course, so the signal along the, the nerve, and so it can act as really good pain relief. You don't necessarily have to have it on the back itself, you could pop it on the neck, that will slow that nerve conduction and give pain relief, but for me, I decided to keep away from ice because I didn't find it beneficial. Pain relief, I took nice and regularly. This is something that patients often don't do and we encourage at the physio crew. What they will often do is wait until the pain gets really, really bad, and by that point, it's too late. So make sure if you're experiencing pain, whatever you're experiencing, make sure first you've spoken to a pharmacist to check that you don't have any interplay with any of your other medications, and then also taking it nice and regularly so that you can feel better and that you don't have these kind of lulls in, in pain relief because you've taken a lot and then not taken any for three or four hours. So for me, I was sort of doing paracetamol and ibuprofen and alternating between the two. Physiotherapists, um, unless they have further qualifications, cannot offer advice on medication. So I'm not saying that that is what is right for you. You should speak to your pharmacist, but that's what um, I did and was effective for me alongside the heat. In terms of the exercise, what we know about back pain research is it doesn't really matter what exercise you do, it's about trying to get movement. So for me, I spent sort of two or three days just swaying from my left to right foot and trying to get some rotation. And it did hurt every single time that I moved. So the natural thing for the brain would be to be protective and to try and not move. But it is so, so important that you normalize that movement and that you get blood and oxygen into that those muscles so that they can relax. So try to do whatever you can. We know that leaning forward, lifting things, or um, going from sit to stand can sometimes be 
things that will trigger the brain into guarding. So try things that you feel kind of comfortable with, which might be the swaying or the rotations, and that will help to ease symptoms off. So if we think about pain relief, we've discussed that. If we think about heat, we've discussed that. If we think about actually trying to avoid guarding, that will be the biggest impact. So for me, I knew that I hadn't damaged my back. I knew that there was a muscle spasm. I knew that it was severely painful and that I had to just try to get moving. So I... I treated myself much more aggressively than I would any patient. You know, if a patient was telling me I've got eight out of 10 pain, I wouldn't be saying, right, push through with the exercises. But for me, because it was my own back, I could really push the boundaries. And actually, because I was able to every hour move and push myself into that um, pain, knowing that I wasn't causing any damage, that helped to reduce guarding. So what is guarding? Guarding is when our brain is being hyperprotective. So if you have ever seen somebody getting up from a chair using their hands or they go to put their shoes on and their back is really, really stiff or perhaps they're actually going to pick something up off the floor and they're using their hand to push themselves back up, that is guarding. And actually, um, there's an interesting blog that's just about to come out of a patient of mine who had, I've been seeing her for about 18 months. And before that, she'd had pain for about 10 years following an accident with very, very severe pain for about a year before I saw her. And she was unable to ride. She was unable to surf. She was actually getting to a point where she told me that she felt quite suicidal. And I think it's so, so important that in those moments, we are looking at the guarding and reprogramming that brain to make sure that we're not stimulating that sympathetic nervous system into a constant state of fight um, or flight. So if you are feeling that you're tense, like you can't relax, then perhaps we need to look at how your brain is receiving the signals and whether we have any guarding. You know, for me, this was only a few days after my injury, but sometimes this guarding can continue at three, four, five months, even a year. And if you get into those habits, you will find it difficult to resolve your pain. So we really need to look at that. I made sure that I also looked through all of Pete O'Sullivan's work. So Pete O'Sullivan is a fantastic um, thought, um, thought leader, probably the biggest thought leader I would say of, of our time in back pain and he looks at the psychosocial element of back pain and how we try to reduce fear to allow people to move normally so I'd advise definitely that you go onto YouTube google Pete O'Sullivan and um, back pain and then find out some of his information <laughs> I'd like to start working through some of the questions that people have sent to me to help answer your queries about your back pain and then how you can help that. So how does back pain occur? Where does it come from? Well, back pain, we don't specifically know. We know that pain is an output of the brain. So if I chop your head off, you're not going to feel pain. But actually, if we chop the limb that you know, like your foot or your hand off, we know that you can feel pain in the limb that isn't there. So if we think basically about nociception, nociception is the ability to feel a noxious, so an unpleasant stimuli from around the body. And we do that in three ways. We can do that by receiving pressure signals, we can do that by receiving chemical signals, or we can do that by receiving thermal signals. So if I put my hand into a flame, there's a signal that goes up to my brain, says you're going to burn me, you're going to injure me, and it gives me a little bit of pain 
that's generated in the brain to make me stay away from burning myself. Pressure, if I pop my hand into a vice and someone starts to apply pressure, information will transfer up the nerves to my brain saying something's going to injure you, there's pressure here and that will give me a little bit of pain in the brain to tell me to stay away from pressure signals. The last one is um, chemical and that can be inflammation. So for example, if I injure an area, if I've torn a ligament or um, I have local swelling in and around um, a nerve root, for example, chemical signals go up to my brain and my brain decides whether they're dangerous or not to me, gives me a bit of pain to try and help me um, alleviate that. But sometimes these signals can become heightened, sometimes they are unhelpful, and sometimes they can be generated when there's no signal at all. So we really need to um, have a little look at how to desensitize the central nervous system. So that is the brain and the spinal cord and how to allow people to recover. So if we think about it with that very sort of um, medical model, then we would be thinking, well, perhaps in the back we could have a inflammatory signal going up to the brain because there could be local swelling in and around the facet joints if we had arthritis or we'd irritated the um, facet joint, for example, or perhaps if there was a disc protrusion, there could be a pressure signal going up. But we know that you can have pressure such as a disc protrusion, but experience no pain at all. So it's a bit more complex than something just so simple as saying, okay, there's pressure or there's chemicals and that gives us the pain. We know that people can have pain when there's no physical injury at all. And so that's the, <laughs> the cleverness of trying to figure out how to help people. Because actually, if we have a very medical model, then sometimes we're not as effective as a psychosocial, bio-psychosocial um, model. The next question is from somebody who has asked, will back pain ever go away? And I think... I feel for this person because they're obviously in quite a lot of pain and they're wondering, is this something that I'm going to have to live with forever? So what we know about back pain is that often it can resolve on its own, uh, particularly if we're able to modify the activity. So if we can get you to exercise regularly, can get you to adjust the activities that you're doing. So if you're doing running, you um, maybe modify the distance that you're doing or the terrain that you're doing or if you are working in an office, maybe looking at changing your posture, or even if you're doing manual work, maybe looking at pacing strategies. So doing a certain job, having a little bit of a rest, and then doing an alternative job in the afternoon. What tends to happen is people tend to, in life, do things in big bulk um, blocks. So for example, if it is a bank holiday weekend, we will see them doing, you know, painting for seven hours a day, which they normally would only do, you know, every now and then, and that can induce a, an episode of back pain. So it's just helping to educate people to understand that you can use pacing strategies, that doing regular exercise is really helpful, and also to keep moving and just add in just a very gentle stretch routine that you do every morning. Sometimes people will get back pain after they've had another injury. So it might be that they've had a hip replacement or some other kind of surgery, such as um, an ACL um, reconstruction or a knee replacement, and they're finding that they're walking differently. Now, from a physio perspective, what we'd be looking at is 
looking at someone's gait, so looking at how they're walking, seeing if they're weight bearing, bearing evenly on both sides, looking to see if they're compensating. So quite often we see this kind of antalgic gait, which is sort of um, the posh term for a limp. And you would see that the glute med muscle, for example, is not doing its job. And then you get might get overload of the QL, which can then cause your back pain. So from a physio perspective, what we would be doing when people are coming in is we'd be looking at how you're moving with range of movement, but then also looking at kind of dynamic movements so if you know if you're getting your back pain when you're running we'd be looking at your running if you're getting it when you're walking we're looking at you walking and we're just looking at how you're moving and then just fine-tuning those little things to be able to say okay actually when you go from a sit to stand you're hyperextending in your lumbar area that's likely to be irritating your facet joint so let's just try and do some movements before you go or maybe look at standing up in a different way sometimes it can be as simple as looking at the guarding patterns and helping you to switch those off so that you can move more freely and more normally our next question is from somebody who's asking about back pain when you're having um, at your period. So it's common that women will experience lower back pain in and around the time of their period. And this can be a referral, but it can also be due to muscle spasm. So if you think about what is happening during that phase of your period, the muscles are contracting, which is why you get the pain at the front of the pelvis as well. And often people will experience this kind of period cramps. That is simply the muscle contracting. And um, and if you think about the structure of the transverse abdominis, so the transverse abdominis is our corset muscle, it goes all the way around the back to the front. So because of the pain, this may cause us to contract other muscles and that may give us that kind of deep, heavy, achy feeling in the lower back. And sometimes it's simply just a referral. So a referral just means that it's coming from a different place. So for example, it may be that the muscles are contracting in the uterus, but actually you feel it in your lower back. Or sometimes you may get a trigger point, for example, in your upper fibers of trapezius in your, the back of your shoulder, but you may feel that referring up behind the back of the head to the eye, for example. So the pain is moving and traveling to an area where it's um, away from the original source of the signal. The kidneys, for example, can present as back pain. So if you're getting any weird symptoms such as um, pain when you urinate or blood in your urine, we would definitely want you to see a GP to rule out a kidney infection. And they sit sort of at the back of your spine. Um, have a little look on Google at the kidneys. You'll be able to see them and their referral pattern quite clearly on the images online. A common question I get asked is, is my back pain related to cancer? And I think that is so common that our brains go to that place when we're in high levels of pain. So when we're at home, we can't put our shoes on. We're feeling, you know, absolutely exhausted because we haven't been able to sleep with the pain and we just can't get enough pain relief on board to settle the symptoms to a point that we can manage. I think that's when we start to really worry that this could be something more serious. Now, spinal cancers are rare, thank goodness, but there are certain things that we'd be looking for in a clinical pattern for us to sort of establish where whether that could be a cause of it. Very unlikely, but go to speak to your doctor and they can arrange a check x-ray to give you that reassurance if you're wondering about that. So first of all, we'd be asking, you know, is your general health normal? Is there any systemic problems such as are you getting night sweats or are you getting unrelenting night pain? So unrelenting night pain is not a little bit of night pain. It would be there constantly, all of the time, unable to get a comfortable position, unable to sleep. 
So we would be looking at that as a red flag for um, cancer if you had that. Now, it is common to get night pain with backs. For me, I was waking up very, very regularly. The difference is that it wasn't unrelenting, so I was able to move and find a comfortable position. If you have any worries or concerns, it is always better to speak to your doctor. You know, it is very unlikely, but just having that reassurance from someone looking and investigating and saying, actually, this doesn't look like the clinical pattern for it. You know, it hasn't come on slowly over time. It hasn't um, affected, you know, your general health or it hasn't affected your appetite. Sometimes if it's um, with cancer, it can reduce your appetite. Or, or you can lose a lot of weight. But remember that these symptoms overlap. So a lot of people will lose their appetite when they start being in pain. You know, who wants to eat when they're in severe pain? Most people don't. The drugs can also affect it. And we even know things like, you know, if you're in lots of pain, that can raise your blood pressure. So we have these effects on our um, physiology and and most of the time it isn't linked to a serious cause. But if you're concerned about it, it's you will not be bothering the doctor just go in and have that conversation with them or go and see a physio and have that conversation with them so they can offer you reassurance or actually help um sort of give a letter to be able to go back to your gp and then if necessary they can do an x-ray and what can we do about back pain well i think hopefully throughout the podcast you've got this idea that we want to reduce guarding as much as possible we want to try and keep you as mobile as you can with movement that you can cope with and tolerate we want to make sure that we've ruled out any red flags and offered you reassurance that it's nothing serious in nature by having an assessment we'll be able to look at your reflexes to check that the nerves are all going well we'll check the dermatomes and the myotomes which help us to know whether the nerve has been affected in the leg and whether the signals are getting through properly we also check cranial um, nerve tests and we also check things to rule out ms or um, more sort of um, serious causes of weakness in your legs Again, these are really rare, but um, if you are concerned, just book your free discovery call as part of um, what the service that the physio crew provide, and then we can help guide you with that. If you have any red flags, as I said before, go to A&E. So we're coming to the end of the podcast today, and I hope that those questions have helped you to work out your next step forward. So if you are at home currently and you've got back pain, first of all, think about um, a clear assessment to be able to work out what is causing it. This will help you to guide your decision on what you should be doing, whether you should be pushing through or whether you should back off a little bit and have some more relative rest. Think about your pain relief. Think about taking it nice and regularly and looking at exercises that help keep you moving and reduce the guarding. You might consider heat, always making sure that you put hot water bottles in a tea towel to reduce the risk of burning. The current evidence shows that 20 minutes at a time is about enough. And if you are considering using ice, we want it on for 10 minutes, again, making sure it's wrapped in a tea towel to protect your skin. What you wouldn't do is put ice on, which would numb it, and then put heat on immediately afterwards because you won't be able to feel your skin and you won't be able to feel if it's burning you. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I've certainly enjoyed going through those questions with you. Please make sure to like and subscribe if you have and share it with anybody who may have back pain and book in your free discovery call so that you can learn a bit more about your body and how to help resolve it. See you in the next podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a five-star review so we can reach more people in pain and help them too. Thanks for joining us on the Physio Crew Podcast.